The Medallion, Chapter 2 Gagging on the thick dust that hung in the air, Corvin spat a gob of gritty phlegm onto the floor. Stepping away from the pile of rubble, he leaned his pickaxe against the tunnel wall. Going to the store for his mother had left him worn out and irritable. He couldn't handle the bright sunlight since coming back from the core and his headaches were becoming more intense. Retreating underground into the cellar or working at the coal mine was the only way to get the pain to ease. Now he understood why his dad was depressed in the summer months when the mine was shut down and why he loved puttering away on his metalwork in the dim workshop. The dust settled, and Corvin inspected the wall of the narrow channel he was chipping through the bedrock beneath their home. The smudged chalk marks revealed the bitter truth. In the past week, he had gained only three precious inches. There had to be at least six feet of solid rock left to chip through, possibly more if his calculations with the string line were wrong. Turning away, he headed back to the cellar. Even if he did break through in Sark's dwelling under the castle rocks, how could he get through the labyrinth without the stone hammer? The silver book in the oak chest might help, but with no way to open the secret compartment, he couldn't find out for sure. Corvin ran a hand through his gritty hair. Each day his desperation grew. He considered trying some of the explosives from the mine, but now he knew enough about dynamite to understand it was far easier to break out a wide seam of coal than to blast a narrow channel through solid granite. He might have no choice but to at least try. Closing the section of shelves, masking the hidden entrance to the tunnel, he walked over to the workbench. His father made sure no one would discover he was slowly but surely carving a secret passage out to the castle rocks. The cellar doors creaked. Corvin whipped around to find Kate, silhouetted against the moonlight. Why had she come back now? His irritation rose back to the surface. She never should have put on the black bracelet in the first place. None of this would have happened if she had shared her discovery instead of keeping it for herself. Kate approached the table. I wanted to say goodbye. Goodbye? In spite of his annoyance, Corbin did not like the sound of those words. Are you leaving? No, but you will be at the mine all weekend. I won't see you until next week when your mom gets back. Oh, yeah, okay. I'll see you then. Corvin, I... I'm sorry about earlier today. I just wanted to talk with you. Can we turn a light on? They don't work. I took the bulbs out. Do you have a candle? His dad's small acetylene mining headlamp sat next to the wooden box. Twisting the knob, he waited for the water to drip down to the lumps of calcium carbide. Pulling a match from the metal tube attached to the lamp, he scraped it along the top of the table and held it close. The gas sputtered and caught, flickering and smoking in the center of the polished reflector. Is that your dad's coat? Kate pointed into the box. Yes, the one he wore to work. I thought so. I remember it from when he carried me out of the mine. Corvin turned a light toward her and studied Kate's face. Do you remember anything that happened before your accident? You were away for weeks. Kate shook her head. I remember falling down at the Castle Rocks at night. I think that's where I got this. Kate touched a jagged scar on her cheek. Then I remember waking up in the hospital after your father found me in the mine. There's nothing in between. Corvin nodded. He didn't like to deceive Kate. But how could he tell her about a lizard named Sarek or a black band drawing her into the underground world of the core? Until her memory returned, he couldn't tell her anything. The doctor said she would have a terrible time if her memories came back too fast. Kate spoke softly over the hiss of the lamp. Your father saved my life. I wish he was still here so I could thank him. Corvin only nodded, setting the lamp on the table and jarring the knob. 
Someone said your dad died because I got lost in the mine? Corvin's anger flared with the rising flame. Why would they say that? Kate bit her lip. Do you think I'm to blame for his death? Corvin turned the lamp down. Forget about what people are saying. It doesn't matter anymore. Kate's face creased into shadowed lines. Your dad died, but at least he gave you a home with parents who loved you. The way you act now, it's like none of that counts for anything. She rubbed two fingers over the scar in her palm. Sometimes I want to hold on to my anger, but I can't anymore. Something changed for me at the hospital or maybe even before the accident. Corvin swallowed the lump in his throat. The way she touched the mark in her palm, she had to be referring to the medallion she carried through Kadir City. But Kate could never understand the story of the medallion and the Red Seed. The only reason she believed him about the hammer was because she had actually met Sarek face to face. Watching her, he was struck by how much her appearance had changed since the accident. She was no longer the tomboy with the cropped red hair. Now her hair was longer and almost black. The red seed from the mother plant had done more than just heal her body. With the scar on her cheek and the long black hair, she and Tirith looked a lot alike. At the thought of Tirith, a wash of guilt came over him. Breaking Kate's gaze, he turned back to the workbench to tidy up his tools. A dull silence fell between them before Kate spoke again. I'm glad things are going well for you at the mine. Everyone says you work well underground, just like your dad. Corvin continued hanging up the tools. People in town kept trying to make him feel better about his dad, but none of them understood what really happened. Another pause. I guess I'll see you next week. Corvin only nodded, keeping his back to her. Perhaps by then she would remember more and they could finally talk. Glancing over his shoulder, he saw her wipe the tears from her eyes as she closed the cellar door. Slamming a wrench down on the workbench, Corvin whirled around and twisted off the acetylene lamp. This was all too confusing, and there was no one he could talk to. Between the long shifts at the mine and tunneling down in the cellar, exhaustion had set in, and he was losing all hope that he could ever chip his way through all that rock. As he stuffed the lamp back into the box, a soft green glow spread along the wooden slats. Removing the oilskin raincoat, the light of Kate's medallion leapt out, its green words projected onto the ceiling overhead. Jorid must have been pretty upset when he got the one that didn't glow, but it served him right to end up with a fake medallion. No doubt Jorid's desire for the glowing medallion also involved his plans to use Tirith to take over the core. As he cupped the pointed medallion in his hand, warmth flowed up his arm and into his chest. He hadn't held the medallion since he hid it away in the box, after he caught Billy Fry spying on him up at the Castle Rocks. For once the bully had said nothing, staring at Corvin and the medallion, before running off through the field toward his home. As it turned out, the medallion couldn't open the door, and Corvin had not returned to the Castle Rocks since that evening. Corvin studied the glowing symbols on the medallion, and the pain in his eyes subsided. His thoughts ran clearer. He couldn't blame Kate for his father's accident. It was his own fault. He should have warned his father about the water-filled tunnel connecting the mine to the core before his dad went back to seal off the shaft. He also had to admit that this time he wanted to go to the core alone, and it was because he wanted to see Tirith again. Ever since saving Tirith's life at the temple karst and pressing his lips to hers, the beautiful daughter of the high priest was constantly in his thoughts. He had to find out if she really liked him, and not only as the guy who saved her from drowning. Yet down in the core, he also told Kate he'd loved her when Sari put the seed into her hand. 
Did he tell her that just because she was more like a sister to him? Earlier today he had almost hugged her, and there were many times in the past he had thought about kissing Kate. He squeezed the medallion until the points dug into his skin. It would have been better if he had never found the hammer in the first place. Frustration, built with the pain in his hands, the comfort from the medallion could not resolve this confusion. Stupid thing, he muttered, tossing it along the workbench. The metal disc ricocheted off the wall and bounced into the open dumbwaiter where the chain hung over a crack in the dumbwaiter floorboards. The silver chain began slipping through the crack, one link at a time, then faster, like a shimmering snake gliding away. Corvin lunged forward, but with a final tug, the weight of the chain tipped the medallion up and then through the crack into the empty space at the bottom of the dumbwaiter shaft. The green glow died, and the cellar went dark. Corvin turned away. He might as well leave the medallion there until he was able to break through the rock into Tsarik's dwelling. Then he could come back for it and find out if it could help him through the labyrinth and back into the core. The cellar doors creaked, and he glanced over his shoulders, but there was only a wedge of moonlight floating through the crack between the cellar doors. For a normal person, the pale light wasn't bright enough to see by, but Corvin's journey to the core had permanently changed his vision, and the silver light lit up the room. Crossing to the table, he crammed his dad's raincoat back into the box. His dad always wore it when he worked in a wet area of the mine, but after the search for his father was called off, Corvin found the coat still hanging on the hooks at the back door. Immediately, he knew what had happened. His father had made a mistake and had taken the cloak Corvin brought back from the core, the special cloak that belonged to the leader of the Rakash. Shoving his father's raincoat back into the box, he encountered a bulge in the front pocket. Inside was his Texas star holster, and flicking the snap open, he withdrew the black fake hammer. Gavin had done an incredibly good job of coppering the stone one, but it couldn't open the door in the castle rocks nor the compartment in the oak chest. A small leather pouch tumbled out of the bottom of the holster. It was the one he had given to Sari when he left the core. He rolled the fabric between his thumb and forefinger and squeezed a small lump in the corner. Untying the drawstring, he dumped it on the table. It was the last of the seeds from the mother plant. He had found three of them in Tyrus' blood after the chief watcher cut her cheek. Sari had taken the pouch from him along with the two seeds that remained inside. So how had the pouch with only one seed found its way back inside his holster and under the hammer. The only time she could have put it there was when she removed the hammer as she was saying goodbye to him. Sarah had said something about taking it along as his pledge that he would return. At the time, he thought the old woman was referring to the fake hammer, but now he realized she was asking him to return to the core with the last remaining seed from the mother plant. Sarah had stuck the pouch and seed under the hammer to make sure he returned to the core after Kate was safely home. Corvin poked at the seed, and a flutter of light crossed its surface. A spark of life remained, but he needed to attach it to the bedrock right away, and somewhere the sunlight could not reach. With the seed held carefully in his palm, Corvin walked to the far wall and worked the hidden catch to swing the section of the shelves open. Entering the tunnel, he pushed the shelving door shut behind him. In the darkness, soft flickers of light twisted about inside the seed. He touched the pointy end of the small Lumian seed to the bedrock overhead. It quivered and pulled away from his fingers as if it were relieved to be back where it belonged. The seed swelled, and the vivid colors twirled across its surface, changing from red to purple before settling into a soft blue. A muted sound seemed to come from the small blue sphere, but he couldn't recall seeds making a noise as they grew. Another thump. No, the sound was coming from further down the tunnel. He walked down the passage to where it narrowed into the shaft he'd been chipping towards Sarek's dwelling. A large chunk of granite 
had fallen off the wall, revealing a finger-wide crack in the rock. Perhaps he was closer than his measurements led him to believe. Sweeping the pickaxe up, Corvin took aim and swung. The thud echoed through the rock walls as the pickaxe wedged into the crack. Corvin pushed on the handle till the wood creaked under his weight, but the rock refused to break away. Yanking on the handle, he found the head stuck fast in the crack. He struggled until beads of dusty sweat formed on his forehead, but it was no use. Reluctantly, Corvin retreated to the light of the tiny Lumion. His ride to the mine would be coming any minute, and he needed to save his strength for a weekend underground. Tiny orb had already grown brighter, and small tendrils like an ant's antennae were unfurling on the rock around it. If this seed would grow other Lumians, he would be able to eat them. Lumian fruit would give him the strength he needed to keep chipping through the wall. Wearily, he pushed open the secret door into the cellar. A chair scraped across the floor in the kitchen above and something heavy dropped on the table. Kate must be making sure he knew she was still awake, in case he wanted to come up and talk to her. The cover on the stove scraped open and Kate added more wood to the fire. He should go upstairs, warm himself by the fire, and apologize to Kate for getting so mad at her. But the honk of a car out front caught off his intention. His ride had arrived. As he gathered up his gear, another gust of wind rattled the cellar doors. At the store today, Miss Barron mentioned a nasty storm that was coming through this weekend. After chatting briefly about the incoming weather, she talked with him about his father's accident. Most likely that was why his mother sent him in the first place, and why there had been such pity in Miss Barron's voice as she told him not to work so hard. The whole town was working to help comfort him about his father's death, and that annoyed him even more. None of them could ever understand what he was going through. When his father went missing, Corvin had gone back with a search party to show them the way to the underground river. That's when he had come upon the telltale signs of a struggle and ran ahead of the rest of the men despite their warning shouts. Their voices had faded behind him as he turned a corner, and that's when a face appeared up ahead in the steady beam of his headlamp. It was the leader of the Rakash, and hanging from the stump of its forearm was the special cloak his father had been wearing when he went back to the mine. The Rakash sneered at him, and then there was a powerful thump as the tunnel shuddered and stones began to rain down from the ceiling. Strong arms pulled him to safety and rushed him from the mine. When they reached the surface, they let him get some air and he lay back on the pile of broken slag, staring at the crescent moon overhead. They must have thought he was in shock from losing his father, but that wasn't why his stomach was churning. He knew for certain that the leader of the Rakash had taken his father, and although it never said a word, Corvin knew exactly what it wanted. The leader of the Rakash was challenging him to come back to the core and rescue his father.